you turn with me to the book of Numbers chapter 4. We just sang that hymn out of our green hymn book and it mentions there in verse 2, and may we smell thy fragrance near. How fortuitous that hymn. As we look at this verse of scripture found in the book of Numbers chapter 4. We're only going to look at one verse this morning. It was almost passed over in our studies, but uh, I think it was kind of like that passage of scripture we read about Moses walking through the desert and he saw a bush on fire. And he says, I think I'll go see what this is all about. So we're going to go to Numbers chapter 4, verse 16. Numbers chapter 4 and verse 16. In this passage of Scripture, we have one of the sons of Aaron mentioned. Numbers chapter 4, verse 16. We have one of the sons of Aaron mentioned, and his name is Eleazar. And Eleazar is going to take Aaron's place when Aaron passes. It's going to be in a while. It's going to be in about 40 years before that takes place. But he has been given an office. He has been given a place here in this verse of Scripture. This word uh, office is to have charge of or to have the oversight of. Now remember, as we go through this chapter, chapter 4, it's talking about those who will be uh, ministering in moving the tabernacle. When it comes time to move it or time to set it up, there's going to be certain people in doing different jobs. They have their responsibility. We looked last week at that coverings of all of those instruments inside of the holy place and the holy of holies that Aaron and his sons took care of before the sons of uh, the Kohathites could go in and grab the handles and carry those uh, articles, those pieces of furniture, how they needed to be covered because without a covering there would be certain death. And without the covering of blood, there will be certain death. Unless I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Well, here we have the job or the responsibility of Aaron's son, Eliezer. Verse 16, it says, and notice this. There are about six different responsibilities that God has put on him. And to the office of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, pertaineth, number one, the oil for the light. Number two, and the sweet incense. Number three, and the daily meat or meal offering, the grain offering. And the anointing oil, number four. And the oversight of all the tabernacle, number five. And of all that therein is, in the sanctuary and in the vessels thereof. Six different responsibilities that have been placed upon this one person when it comes time to move or when it comes time to set up. And we would like to look at that passage of scripture this morning. For in this, we see how is declared the much about the true high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. It has been 
such a blessing for me since the Lord saved me those many years ago to be able to go to the scriptures and find Christ. That's something I couldn't do in religion. I could find religion. I could find how important it was to worship on a certain day. I can tell you how to, how to clothe yourself. I could tell you what you could watch on TV and all of that stuff. But I couldn't instruct anybody in finding Jesus Christ. It was not in me. And as we heard this morning in the Bible class, we know why. Because the natural man cannot understand spiritual things. We can only find physical things. So here we have in this verse of scripture some very spiritual things about our Lord Jesus Christ. Another translation put that verse of scripture thusly. Eliezer the son of Aaron, the priest will be responsible for the oil of the lampstand, the fragrant incense the daily grain offering, the anointing oil. In fact, Eliezer will be responsible for the entire tabernacle and everything in it, including the sanctuary and its furnishings. Now that covers a wide swath, and there's only one that truly has that ability and that responsibility, and that's our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has these many things that he is responsible for in this passage of Scripture. And yet I do not find him ever complaining about the responsibilities that were imposed upon him. I find, in fact, that this man, Eliezer, not only does he collect tithes, but he has already paid tithes before he was ever born. He's already had that responsibility taken care of for him. In the book of Hebrews, and keep your finger here, but turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. Eliezer was considered in Abraham's paying to Melchizedek as the Levites were. Eliezer is there in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 9. What a wonderful statement it is here about someone taking care of a bill before you ever had the bill. In other words, before we were ever born, someone took care of the bill on our behalf. The bill of our salvation, the bill of our sin. In John, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 9, it says, And as I may say, so say, Levi also hath received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. So that business has been taken care of. There was no worry on the part of the Levites or upon the priests and kings of God about paying the responsibility. It's been taken care of by one far greater than us, with far greater responsibility. In fact, his responsibility can never be our responsibility because the problem is too great. Eliezer was born into this service. He wasn't voted into it. He was born into this service. He's the son of Aaron. The son of Levi. He was born into the service. When Aaron had this son, it was already determined by God Almighty that Eliezer would be the priest and he would have the responsibility of taking care of these six things when the children of Israel moved the tabernacle. They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Already, we find before the foundation of the world that one that has credibility with the Father and could uh, call himself brethren with the, with the saints, one would set himself aside for this great task. 
We find that Eliezer was given the responsibility that no one else was given. In fact, the task was too great. There are some things in that tabernacle that are pictured that are far greater than anybody else could take care of. It must be this anointed one, this set-aside one, this one that comes. Sometimes we cannot be trusted, uh, the task cannot be trusted by others. The importance is just too great. We're not going to give this to some other person. We're not going to give this to the preacher. We're not going to give it to the deacon or the Sunday school teacher. We're not going to give it to another man. This task will be held only by the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Eliezer was consented to all this responsibility. Not one word is here mentioned about he begrumbled the fact that as they moved, he had these articles and these responsibilities. He had the oil for the light. He had the incense. He had the holy oil uh, for anointing. This was his responsibility, and he would carry it out. And he had the daily grain offering as they moved. He was going to be a representative before the children of Israel, and I want to underline this, for the children of Israel. There was not a Hittite that Eliezer represented. There was not a Hivite that, the, uh, that Eliezer represented. He is going to be the representative for the picture of the church, the children of Israel, just like the Lord Jesus Christ is the representative for the church, and he is the one that stands before God Almighty making intercession for the church. Eliezer consented to all these responsibilities, and these responsibilities were on the behalf of the children of Israel. Eliezer consented. I love that passage of scripture where it says, Jesus said with regard to his own forthcoming death, no man takes my life from me, I lay it down of myself. Now, many will blame it onto the Sanhedrin, and many will blame it onto the Roman soldiers, and many will blame it onto the Jews. But Jesus said in himself, in his own words, no man taketh my life from me, I lay it down of myself. Just as we see this man dressed in these robes and having that bonnet upon his head, marching through the wilderness as the tabernacle is being moved, he has fully consented to the burden that he has with him. These articles and the responsibility is his on this building being moved to the proper place and being assembled at the proper time when God says, let's stop here. Well, as we look at this passage of scripture, we find that the first item that Eliezer had listed, given to him, is that oil for the light. I wish, well, no I don't. <laughs> you know what, if that tabernacle was still around, what would happen to it? People would worship it. They did that with that brazen serpent. They did that with all the articles that God, why did he take them all away? Because he was sick and tired of people worshiping the article instead of who it represented. And his anger is not over with today. Just as we heard this morning, to have that abomination of blaming the Holy Spirit 
Well, as we look here at the oil of life, he carried the very special oil for the lamp in the holy place. Now, that lamp was burning day and night. But from a, from a physical standpoint, it was absolutely impossible to provide that light day and night without oil being put in it. And there were priests that were responsible for that. The Levites were responsible for putting that oil in it. But when it came time to move, there was one responsible for carrying it, to taking care of this oil that was used for the light. There is no light without a source. We got these lights on, but there's power lines that bring it in. Somewhere, and I'm not sure which dam provides it, but some dam provides this light for us. This is a source that we look at, but there's a greater source that provides this. Over in the book of 1 John chapter 1, we find a wonderful verse about our God, about the God of heaven, about the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and this holy light that is in the holy place on the candle. He is the candlestick. He is the light of the candlestick. And in the book of Revelation, he wanders in and around the candlestick. Those seven churches of Asia, he has oversight over them. And here in the book of 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, we have this wonderful message about God. This wonderful message that there is absolutely no darkness at all in him. There's, it says, and this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. The gospel is a declaration. It's never been a proposition. It's always been a declaration. We declare it unto you that God is light. Now we can reflect on this when we go back to the book of Genesis and find out that there was total darkness, and God created the light. Let there be light. Now, God is the source of all light. He is the one that gives us light. And when it comes to spiritual matters, He's the God that gives us spiritual light. He's the one that must create that light in us. He's the one that is the source of that light. He quickens us, makes us alive in spiritual resurrection. So here it says... In God, there's a wonderful message here that God is light and in him is no darkness. And then it emphasizes that at all. There is no darkness at all. Turn with me, if you would, back to the book of John, the gospel of John in John chapter 8. And we find as Eliezer is walking through the wilderness, carrying these objects in preparation for the setting up of this tabernacle once again, he's carrying that wonderful oil for the light there in the holy, of, in the holy place. In the book of John chapter 8, we read these words of the Lord as he spoke these words, and he shares with us, and we rejoice in this statement about him. As God is light and in him is no darkness at all, Jesus shares this in John chapter 8 and verse 12 and says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. If there's ever going to be any light anywhere in any soul, I am the light. We cannot have light in ourselves. Religion tells us there's a spark. The Bible tells us there's none. Religion tells us we can just fan it. The Bible tells us God must bring that. He is the giver of light. He's the one that has the holy oil of light. 
I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You may go to sleep in a dark bedroom, but if you have the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit, you have light that nobody else can extinguish, and by the grace of God, unless it's the grace of God, no one else can experience. It is a light beyond any light that we can even fathom. It's a light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We attribute all riches to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. Just as we read over here, on your way, stop by Luke chapter 2 and 32. I know we're backing up here, but we want to go to 2 Corinthians. But here is a wonderful statement about the light of the Lord Jesus. Even in his infancy, this is attributed to him in Luke chapter 2 and verse 32. Luke chapter 2 and verse 32. It says, Simeon came in and he makes some statements about this baby Jesus. He had some understanding. He had some light. He had some understanding of Old Testament scriptures revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And he says this about the Lord Jesus, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. This one will not only be a light for Israel, but he will be a light for the Gentiles. And these combined will be the church, a light to lighten the Gentiles. Now turn with me over there to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have this illusion of going clear back to the book of Genesis and the creation of light in the beginning. It's interesting when you go over there and read that there was light before the sun was created. There was light before the stars were created and there was light before the moon was created. Now we know the moon is just a reflection of the light of the sun. And the sun is just a big star out there providing heat and light for us every day. Whether the clouds are there or not, it still shines. But the true light is Jesus Christ the righteous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read these wonderful words about the salvation that God has for his people and the person who is the author of it, the Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and there in verse 6, for God who commanded, I like that, that statement there, who commanded, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. We could travel over several thousand years to the book of Genesis chapter 1 and read about God saying, declaring, commanding, let there be light. And the scriptures go on and say, and there was light. And God goes on and says, and the light was good. God created the light. Let there be light. Who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Now, by the same power that he commanded that light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts. In regeneration, there is such a change made in us that we recognize that the true light is Jesus Christ and not our own righteousness. The true light comes from heaven and not from ourselves. We don't introspect. We look out. We look up. We see Christ as the author and finisher of our faith. 
has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When God saves us, we're given some information. We're given some knowledge about God. We'll never doubt what God's word has to say to us. We may not be able to engulf it all. We may not be able to find it all. We may not be able to take it all in. But we'll never doubt the word of God. There is a light there that God creates that says, It is me that has created the heavens and the earth. And it is me that created new life in you. And this life is permanent life. This light is permanent light. And it shall not be extinguished in time or for eternity. What a glorious light that we have. And here is Eliezer in his, hot, in his priestly gowns, his bonnet on, mock, walking along. I don't know how he carried it all. I don't know what he contained it in. But I do know this. It was given to him the responsibility of carrying this oil for light. The next thing that we find him carrying along, and I can just think in my mind as, if you were going to pass cross the path of Eliezer as he's going from one place to another, carrying his responsible articles. Now we wouldn't do this because we'd be with our tribe. But if, just for a moment, you cross the path of Eliezer as he's moving along, you would go, oh my. That is sweet-smelling incense. You know, there's nothing in this world that smells worse to me than a skunk. I mean, there's nothing in this world. Where I grew up, we had striped skunks. Now, I don't know what kind we have here, but every once in a while, I'll wake up in the night and one has gone by the house. Now they don't have to be angry with anybody to stink. They just do it naturally. But when they get angry with you, they really stink. That is a foul smell. But can you imagine going through the wilderness and crossing the path of Eliezer and saying, Oh my, now I know what that incense smells like on the altar of incense in the holy place. It's delightful. It's indescribable. It's beyond words. I've smelled a skunk, but now I smell the sweet incense of the holy place. As Eliezer walked carrying the sweet incense, what an odor would be given off. There was sweet incense of grace in every step of Eliezer's antitype, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everywhere he went, there was the sweet smell of incense of the grace of God. Every moment he stopped, every instance that he had planned out before the foundation of the world to stop by and make a visit with people, we're going to have the sweet incense of the grace of God demonstrated. We're going to find him going to places that we normally would not think he would even go. But he would go there on purpose so that someone could smell the sweet incense 
of the glory of God in the person of Christ Jesus. This true smell, the true grace. Eliezer was consecrated by God, and so was our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. His agenda was primarily, the Lord's agenda primarily, just as we follow Eliezer going, the agenda of Eliezer as he went through the wilderness was to go to the next place to set the tabernacle up so they could get back to their service. When it was time to move, he moved. When it was time to move, he carried these objects with him. And he had this sweet oil that was used for light. But he also had this sweet incense that you and I could smell as he walked along. But as we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, we find that his major agenda from the foundation of the world was to go to Jerusalem. He went and set his face as a flint to Jerusalem to accomplish what he purposed in the covenant of grace, and that was to give his life a ransom for many. There were many given by the Father to the Son, and Jesus Christ said, Of all that the Father giveth me, I shall lose none. I will take care of them at the cross. His major goal was to go to Jerusalem. From his very birth to that day he was nailed to the cross. He was going towards Jerusalem. But you know, he made a lot of sachets in that trip. In those three years that he traveled through the wilderness as we know this world. He went through the wilderness. And as he traveled, there were so many as we would with Eliezer, caught up with him, and they could smell the sweet incense of grace. How did they catch up with him? He caught up with them. He's the one that met them. And we heard read over there in the book of John this morning, chapter 1, about Nathaniel. But before we go there, would you turn with me to the book of John chapter 12? In John chapter 12, there was an incident that shares with us what we find in Eliezer carrying that sweet incense all the way to the next place they set up, the tabernacle. In John chapter 12, and there in verse 3. John chapter 12 and verse 3. Scripture shares this. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, one day I was in a store, I think it was in our mall. I like our mall. It's small. I was in a store and I caught the scent. It was so sweet. I had to find out what it was so I can buy some of that for my wife. It was so good. Well, as I think about this, here is a lady that brought a pound of spikenard. John chapter 12, verse 3. <coughs> it says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, Jesus didn't spend the rest of his ministry in that house. What did his feet smell like as he left? What did his feet smell like as he traveled? What did his feet smell like as he came to his next appointment? Spikenard. 
Physically, that's what happened. Spiritually, every place he stopped, there was the sweet smell of grace. We heard read this morning there a passage of scripture in the book of John chapter 1 about Nathaniel. Would you join me there? In the book of John chapter 1, there in verse 48 and 49, John chapter 1 verses 48 and 49, we find the sweet smell of grace. Can you hear that man say, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You know, that's what he believed. He believed that there's nothing good could come out of Nazareth. He knew about Nazareth. He's speaking about this one, this king that has been identified by his brother. We found him who Moses and the prophets wrote about. We found him. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found him. And his comment about that is so natural and so normal. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? How in the world do you expect me to hear anything about anybody being a savior? I am saved myself. And I've done it myself. Well, God is so gracious. The sweet smell of grace. You know, it didn't stop there. How often would, if God had stopped bringing us grace... When we said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Is there any good thing about that gospel? Is there any good thing about that gospel of, of free grace? My goodness, that takes away all merit from me. That takes away all works from me. Can any good thing come out of that? And then if God has said, all right, that's enough. But you know what? Jesus didn't stop with that. He's the God of that wonderful Fragrance, fragrance of grace. John chapter 1, verse 45, it says, Then Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did speak, did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him. Now who was really doing the drawing here? Who's really active here? The one that said, let there be light. The one that said, grace is a sweet fragrance. Behold an Israelite indeed with whom is no guile. And Nathanael said unto him, whence knowest thou me? Jesus, (laughs) isn't that neat? How do you know me? From whence knoweth me? We find out how wonderful it is that our Savior is omniscient. He knows all. Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Now, Philip could only give the general call. Come on. I want to introduce you. I'd like to take you. I'd like to talk to you about someone. But there's only one that can give spiritual interest in coming. Nathaniel answered and said unto him, You're not that troublemaker from Nazareth. You're not that no good thing can come out of Nazareth. What does he say? He says, Rabbi. 
teacher, master, thou art the son of God, thou art the king of Israel. A lot of difference. Jesus answered and said, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. You know, instantly there was a young man that smelled the rich fragrance of grace. This one Jesus, he was accustomed to going around and with his very own purpose in mind met people that would smell the rich, sweet fragrance of grace. The next stop we have is Nicodemus. You know, Jesus could just say, I don't have a word for you. Because there were times when he said that. I don't have a word for you. There were other times he said, you answer my question, I'll answer yours. And they said, we can't do that because we'll get in trouble. You know what? This man, this well-versed man in the Old Testament by the name of Nicodemus came to him by night And I've read all kinds of scholars and commentators saying why he came at night. But he came, he was drawn, and Jesus Christ gave him the message he'd never heard in studying the Old Testament law. No preacher had ever brought this message to him. You must be born again. There was a fragrance of grace. Unmerited favor. It's not up to you, Nicodemus. You are a wise man in uh, Old Testament studies, but you've got nowhere past the physical things. Until God gives us that, we'll have nothing. Thou, you must be born again. And without that, you will not even see the kingdom of heaven. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven without that. Jesus told him, he said, you being a doctor of the law don't know these things. You know what Jesus Christ was insinuating? You've studied the Old Testament and you've never once marked down how many times it was God that won the victory. It was God that created the heavens and the earth. It was God that created the light. It was God that created man. It was God that gave you Jericho. It was God that brought you out of Egypt. It was God that uh, provided the Passover. It was God that did all those things. You know, without salvation, without the new birth, we'll never see that it was God. When God saves us, we confess it's God. He provides all of that. There was a Samaritan woman in chapter 4. I love that passage where it says he must needs go through Samaria. What does he have? He has the sweet fragrance of grace. And as he moves, he is going to his appointed places on his way to the cross. He is going to stop from time to time on the way to the cross to bring the sweet fragrance of grace to undeserving people to come to a woman who has all of the sin about her. And he says here as he come up, I must needs go to Samaria. And that's in John chapter 4. I want to read verses 3 through 7. He must needs go through Samaria, then cometh to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. You know, at one time, this was part of Israel. But now it's Samaria. 
when they came and overthrew Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar came. He came and overthrew Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and brought in Gentiles, and they intermarried with these people. The Jews that came back said, we can't have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was the sixth hour, and there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. We know the rest of the story. The sweet fragrance of grace came to this well. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he preached Christ in him crucified and gave this woman the new birth. And she was able to go back rejoicing and says, Come see a man that told me all things ever I did. Every stop that Jesus made on the way to the cross was intensely filled with the great, wonderful smell of grace. He's going to stop a number of times. Our time is up. We'll pick up here next time, Lord willing, and see a few more instances where His great uh, smell of grace came upon people, and their lives were no longer their lives. They were God's. Brother Mike, if you'll come.